tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In episode 8 of this podcast, Dan picks out some useful riffs, licks and approaches from the styles of Jimmy Page and Gary Moore. During the lesson, we look at overbending, stuttering rhythms, cyclic licks, Celtic themes and much more. pickup up a bit so Dan having a think about uh, whether we could look at some different styles uh, so actually looking at the styles of different players I was really interested by some of the Hendrix feels that we looked at when we were looking mm-hmm. at Bob Dylan and wondered whether we could look at players in a bit more detail okay what sort of appeals to you about the styles of different guitar players is there any particular I know you mentioned Jimmy Hendrix are there any particular things within people's styles that you've You've yeah. noticed or you're looking for ideas? What, what, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm thinking it's a good thing because uh, it's an immediate way of picking up some new licks, which I think having a good lick library is a really great thing for any player. And obviously if you study a particular style of, that someone's got, you're going to be looking at their licks. You know, um, Eric Clapton's double stops and Hendrix licks off the chords and things like that. So I guess that's one thing. Um, the other thing would be their tone and their whole kind of outlook. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're fairly au naturel here. We're plugged straight into amps with little or no effects, which is yeah. slightly unfortunate for certain styles, I'm afraid. Um, as some people like the the Edge, for example. I like to call him the Rim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some He's... may disagree. No, uh, I think that's about right. <laughs> rim. Um, he obviously, his his whole guitar style is more about soundscapes. Which is, it's a cool thing in its own right, but it does require, obviously, sort of effects to get the best of it. Yeah. But I think there's certainly, coming from the rock and blues genre, which is, so I think, probably where you and I are at, well, there's lots of players out there, and it may be some things within their playing that you don't expect. There's a lot of players, isn't there? There's, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan. The ones that made my, my mouth just... Full to the floor. Made to make your mouth water. Yeah. So, Stephen Ray Vaughan, let, let's break it down. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. Break it down. So, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan, what do you like about his playing? I, I, I guess it's just the kind of uh, the speed that he's got, the feel he's got, the, the, the mix of bending and moving around, the fretboard up and down, horizontally, vertically. He's, he's all over the shop, but it's his feel more than anything. Okay. Which is, you can't. that's something you just got to have isn't it you see the thing that I pick up on on him this is what I mean by maybe the things that you don't expect yeah that that kind of sort of 
get reflected back at you from me as, as the things to pick up on in the player's style. I find with Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's up there up there with Hendrix in terms of sort of being a great example of someone who really mixed up the sort of playing of rhythm and lead together. Yeah. You know, so many of us, and I know I've said this before, sort of lived in a camp where lead is in one camp and rhythm is in another. And Stevie Ray Vaughan really sort of made the most of being in, say, a three-piece band by bringing the lead and rhythm parts together. You know, yeah, Jimi Hendrix that. made a very good sort of case for that as well. Sort of when when you know when he was alive doing the Jimi Hendrix experience, in terms of the use of double stops and things like that, which, which can so easily brighten up a rhythm and, and sort of also cross over between that rhythm and lead thing. It's not like I'm playing some open chords and now I'm taking a solo and then I'm going to go back again and play some more open chords. Any other players that you can personally think of, or should I throw a, three, a few in the pot? Players, I, I guess I, re, I mean, I mentioned Prince. I do think he's amazing. I grew up listening to a lot of Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. I, I really like his playing. I guess actually some of the old blues stuff as well, you know, like yeah. uh, even John Lee Hooker and some jazz players and everything. Uh, Gary Clark Jr., he's awesome too. It just too. goes on and on. Yeah, it on does. It. It's difficult to know what to say. Jim, Jimmy Page, you know. I, you know I, th- I think it would be cool as well to pick players maybe who are a little diverse mm. in their approach because you can get two rock players who approach things completely differently. So, for example, you've got someone like Gary Moore. Oh, no, who was a left-handed person who back in the 60s when getting hold of quality left-handed guitars was tricky and for whatever other reasons that there are out there he decided well it's going to be difficult ho hey, I'm going to play right-handed anyway even though I'm left-handed yeah. and of course he had a sort of a killer technique in a sort of go for the jugular kind of fashion and while he did hammer on a fair few notes um, when he was picking runs and stuff, often he had quite a ferocious picking hand and dug pretty deep for somebody with such sort of bursts of speed. Then you've got someone like Joe Satriani who tends to achieve his speed more through legato playing. So it's almost like a slightly more relaxed, less frenetic kind of approach where we're using an awful lot of individual little hammer-ons to produce a very smooth and flowing line. You know, you hear that coming from Joe Satriani an awful lot more than anything played with, with any form of fast alternative picking. You've then got Ingve, if you want to get really stylistic with it. Obviously, he's got the neoclassical thing down, which I know we've looked at before. Um, but again, with his picking, he used all kinds of things. He used economy picking, sweet picking, um, very, very fast, rapid alternative picking, legato, all kinds of stuff. Um, Lots of different sort of sweeping shapes, which went from sort of three-string shapes to sort of six-string shapes and everything in between. Um, yeah, he's probably an example of someone who who kind of takes in the whole gamut of of technique. Yeah, you know. And then you've got Eddie Van Halen, who had a different approach to rock guitar. Again, you know, he tended to chase the sounds in his head, as he used to say in interview. So often, if you look at some of the things he's done, rather than follow a specific scale. It was more the shape of the overall lick which which counted. So you, it's Hot for Teacher is a prime example of this. You know, essentially, it goes through a number of different sort of scalistic approaches, but it's just a shape moved around. 
but to great effect. So with so many amazing players, not to mention Eric Johnson, Stanley yeah. Jordan, Frank Gambale, Carl Verhaeen, the list goes on. There's so many like great it, players, yeah. Guthrie Govan. It's, uh, it's such a Johnny Winter, B.B. King, <laughs> Albert King, Albert Lee. Yeah. I want to show you a Jimmy Page idea. Yeah, okay, cool. I want to start with that. Now, obviously, in this day and age, many of us are sort of... I've got the right guitar for it as well. For a You change. have, actually. I've got the wrong guitar. I'm playing a super strap, but we'll, we'll, we'll make do amend. Okay. Um, rather than doing an entire style file of stuff, because, you know, that could just drag on and on and on, I want to maybe look at some, some little snippets. I want to share with you some of the things in some people's styles that that I find fascinating. I know we've looked at Noel Rogers before, we've looked yeah, at Ingrid exactly. before, so maybe we'll we'll sort of leave them be for the time being. But Jimmy Page, he's one we haven't really broached. You know, a lot of people talk about Zeppelin, they talk about, you know, Zeppelin riffs, you know. <laughs> You know, we've all heard it a million times. Okay. So with that one, actually, I'm going to show you the riff as we're on it anyway. Yeah, okay. It's actually up there. 710, 710. Seventh fret of the the A string. Cool. Yeah. yeah so we've got that one. Um, this is already just bashing out a few wrists, but I've got something special to show you we in talk, a second. We talked about Black Dog, didn't we, at one point? Oh, Black is, Dog. Uh, I yeah. It's funny with Led Zepp. I think they often had their own sense of timing. Yeah, is, yeah, I agree. It was there, but it's kind of loose, but it's kind of cool. It's they they had John Bonham, tick. didn't they? So they were, John Bonham, they were laughing, weren't they? Really? John Bonham was <laughs> immense. Yeah. An immense drummer huge huge sound I mean massive listen to a Zeppelin record yeah and then go and listen to a Beatles record from the same year and compare the drums yeah, 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 yeah. you know no disrespect to the Beatles they're <laughs> no. a fabulous fabulous group but yeah the drum sounds that John Bonham got were ahead of his time they yeah. were massive they paved the way really for what was going to happen in hard rock later yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the Absolutely. drum sounds that came the immigrant song. That's pretty interesting on the old timing front, isn't it? There. Literally an octave. Yeah, 
opening at the end. kind of makes it sort of tick yeah. so everything is sort of separated Communication breakdown. Uh, and you want the full chord. Yeah, 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 brilliant. 
be, yeah. Pages style. People listen to songs. Yeah. yeah, it's the thing they connect with. I've been into bars and heard some awful bands, quite frankly, or some not very good bands. Well, yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere, but you know. Yeah. And people have loved them because of the songs they've played. I've known some bands do quite well on the circuit, but mm. yeah, they're not particularly good. But because they play the stuff people like, they'll do very, very well. Yeah. And yet you can get a band of, of stellar musicians playing stuff that people don't know. I, I guarantee you, if you got a Billy Bog average band that were nothing special, went in a pub, set up and played all of the songs that people knew, Summer of 69, Living on a Prayer, all that, everyone would love it. If you got far better musicians in a far better band, went and played a night of jazz fusion at the same pub, they would get booed off stage. You know, people dial into songs, which is kind of... It, it's good in some ways because you know what to play and what not to play but it can be I think slightly annoying for the musicians who, who you know are really good and just can't go and play what they want to play because maybe it's just a little bit too musery for the man in the street my point of saying this is that when people look at stuff or remember stuff song is, the song is king that's the thing that people will remember when you get to a point where you're a guitar player and you're listening out for stuff, you might love the song and dig the song, but you start to pick up on other things, other little nuances, especially if you then sort of start to scout around for tabs and, and learn songs and that. And I must admit, most of the songs that I've learned, you know, probably someone's going to listen to this podcast and go, in the immigrant song, it's actually played elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I did. But I'm telling you now, it's in the right key. <laughs> and I never looked at a tab to learn it. You know, I picked up the vibe of the song and the rhythm of the song, and that's how I learnt it. The good old, you know, the way we used to in the good old days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Rather than being a tab bunny in my bedroom. Yeah, it's rhythmically right. That's right. That's the important thing. Um, when you start to pick up the other nuances in someone's playing, the things that make their playing personal to them, you can interject that into your playing. You know, otherwise, you know, you you may find yourself unless you've developed your own style and most of us develop our own style to be fair through listening to other guitar players mm. listening to other musicians not just guitar players listening to the way a singer sings you know listen to pink floyd's great gig in the sky that's fantastic and make an amazing guitar solo yeah 
you know, there's something to be learned from that about <laughs> how to build it up and bring it up and bring it back down again. And you know, Jeff Beck would do a good job on that, wouldn't he? <laughs> he'd do an immense job on that. Yeah, yeah and Dave, Dave Gilmore is known for his incredibly sort of vocal, melodic guitar playing. Yeah. People love all that. But when we're listening to the nuances of guitar playing, the finer points that people might miss, which go beyond just listening to the song, we may find there's something that's just a bit more usable for us. You know, any monkey can sit there and learn a song. It's, hard, it's hardly difficult. But when it comes to actually injecting your playing with personality, now that's a little bit of a tougher deal, isn't it, to strike? Yeah. So, Jimmy Page. There was a phrase that Eddie Van Halen once used that is oh so true of Jimmy Page. And he used it in conjunction about himself, but actually it applies to Jimmy Page's, some of Jimmy Page's licks perfectly. Eddie Van Halen used to say, I, I fall down the stairs, but I land on my feet. <laughs> yeah, you've got to like that. <laughs> now, there's, with Jimmy Page, you know, bless him, he's a fantastic guitar player with lots of personality, but his technique sort of stretches so far and then you get the feeling with some of the records, you listen to the solo on Heartbreaker, it's quite scrabbly, isn't it? You know, That's uh, almost his personality as well, it, isn't it? It is a bit but of his character, his personality, it's quite, it's quite scrabbly. It's like he was playing sort of above the ceiling of his technique, basically. Mm. It's what gives it its sound, and can't take that away from him. But that kind of falling down the stairs and landing on your feet kind of thing can be quite an interesting thing to try and interject into your own playing. Now... If you were playing a blues lick, I'm going to be up here, I think. The key of E. Now, if I was to play a straight sort of lick, you know, without any real inflections in it, you know. I've gone straight down the blues scale. gone a different way but yeah pretty much that <laughs> there were thereabouts Jimmy Page had this kind of stuttery delivery mm. but instead of going dead 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 which would be like you know the perfect technique he kind of get, went <laughs> Which sounds exactly like falling down the stairs laying yeah, on your yeah, feet. Yeah. You know? Do you it's, see what I mean? It's got a certain something to it, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Shall we say? I'm, I'm never going to get Prime example, I think. What example do you think I'm going to give? This will this will test how much you listen to songs. I can. That's the thing is I can kind of picture the the tune as well. The solo in that is pretty stuttery because the, the one. Yeah. Whole lot of love. Whole lot of love. There you go. Yeah, that's the one. Isn't so it? we're going to listen to the solo in Whole Lot of Love. <laughs> Thank you. 
want to go back to it. <laughs> Alright, I'll, uh, I'll check that out. So let's have a quick listen to the solo on Whole Lot of Love because it's that kind of personified and what's yeah. really cool about it is that it's stabs. So you've got stabs which kind of define where the solo is after the, the weird bit with the Mellotron and all the rest of it. Mm. <laughs> It seems very, very purposeful as well, though, doesn't it? It doesn't oh, it's just meant seem to like be there, yeah. Lost it under his fingers or anything. Let's have one more listen to that. Yeah. He's got it all in case in one solo. It's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> it's got a load of personality. Awesome. Yeah. But that's a kind of cool, that stuttery kind of thing and the overbend kind of thing. That's, yeah. that's kind of a cool thing to incorporate into your playing in the right place. You have to pick, obviously, the right place where you can actually sort of overbend and then come back to the, the right note. Shall we look at one more player? Uh, yeah, if you've got time. Who are we thinking? Maybe you mentioned Gary Moore earlier. He'd fit in quite nicely. Gary Moore. Yes. So what period of Gary Moore's are you okay with? I really like uh, his uh, Parisian walkways and Still Got the Blues. That whole album, Still Got the Blues, is amazing. Okay. What do you What do you really know of his playing in terms of, sort of technique and things? Uh, well, I've looked at... that kind of thing and then the can't picture it exactly but it's all that kind of thing isn't it <laughs> so you've got the you've got the sort of still got the blues was quite a sequence I should have them, I should have there it is on the 14th fret then onto the B15 you bend up to the 18th fret from the 17th then down to the 12th fret Okay. 
of okay. similarities right. between Parisian walkways. Yeah, there is. Uh, always the same song. With a lot of his instrumentals, you know, The Loner is another example, which is a really right. great example from the Wild Frontier album. It tends to run things in sequences where it sort of goes round matching the chords. Yeah, yeah. But you've got the same kind of rhythm but different sort of notes. So, you know, he's... Great phrasing, really. <laughs> So with Parisian walkways, it's also in A minor, clearly his favourite key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he bends from the 15 to the 17 on the B string. up on which are a little bit different from that well like his, his riffs in his tunes like moving on and stuff like that or are you talking about like a different time I suppose I'm talking about a slightly different time in his career I mean to be honest with you you know he was still the same player but I think he was playing to, to different sort of strengths within his playing mm. when you look at Gary Moore's career although he always sounded like Gary Moore and his sound was instantly recognisable. I went to see him a couple of times. I went, I went <laughs> to lucky. see him in 1992 yeah. on the Still Got the Blues tour. Yeah. And, you know, he made a ferocious racket. He was playing through a couple of Soldano SLO 100 heads and a couple of Marshall 4x12s. And then he had a deal with Heritage Guitars. They built a Les Paul for him. For anyone out there who doesn't know about Heritage Guitars, they were, they were guys who worked for Gibson. And when Gibson left the plant in Kalamazoo, where they originally made the Gibsons in that factory, they bought the plant off them and opened up a company called Heritage, which continued to make some excellent sort of in the vein of Gibson. Yeah. Sort of guitars like 335s and, and Les Pauls and stuff. And there was a Gary Moore model that you could buy. Strangely enough, it had EMGs. All oh, right, active. Yeah, course. active EMGs, like 85 and 81 or something. The ones that the metal is like these yeah. days. Yeah, <laughs> is it? 
So to try and match his tone without the amps. Well, as, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, through through the eighties, through the eighties, he used EMGs a lot. He he had a couple of custom-made Charvels made for him, which were essentially like a super strap with one humbucker, one volume, and a Floyd Rose. I mean, real stripped bare, you know, mm. which he used on the Wild Frontier tour. And those guitars were sporting EMGs. You know, he seemed to be quite a quite a fan of EMGs they're not a bad sounding pickup it's just you've got to like the sound of that pickup they're a bit like a humbucker that sounds like it's been designed by a guy in a lab coat you know and I don't mean that disrespectfully they are a good tone but they're not the sound of a passive pickup they are the sound of an active pickup so they're very balanced all the bass middle and treble is exactly where you expect it to be Mm. you know you don't get any funny surprises which are either you like or you don't but they lack that kind of organicness Mm. you know that he got later you know when he was using his old Les Pauls and Strats and things so they have an organic quality to the sound the great thing with the EMGs as well is they the tone travels through a long guitar lead very well because the pickups are active and therefore low impedance so it carries through long guitar cables and the separation of notes and chords is very good as well because you're not relying on a strong magnet or lots of windings to produce your output you're actually relying on a, a battery-driven preamp, essentially. And so it's a, a, you know, the pickup on its own is negligible. It wouldn't put out anything if you plugged it in an amp without a battery in it. Right. And that translates into some quite good effects when you're using lots of gain and things like that. Which is Make sure the battery doesn't <clears throat> run out, though. <laughs> yeah, it's screwed if it does. But yeah, I mean, I saw Gary Moore then, and I saw him later on, um, like in the early noughties. Terrific player, but I, I really liked his rock period. I loved his blues period too. Played with Thin Lizzy for a bit, didn't he? He did play with Thin Lizzy. He played on the Black Rose album. Yeah, I like that album. It's a good it's album. Real it's metal good. stuff on there, isn't there? Thunder and Lightning. Uh, I think oh, Thunder, oh, no, Thunder and Lightning was a different album. Thunder and Lightning was the one that John Sykes, who later played for Wisenake, played on. Uh, well, I think I think Black Rose was earlier. Yeah, but Black Rose is very good. That's Emerald, actually. Uh, yeah. I think Emerald might have been from that album. Yeah. Um, I know, I think Sarah was on that album. Yeah, they're, they're all great tunes, actually. Is Emerald the one that goes... Well. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. So let's look at some other Gary Moore-isms. Lovely. One thing he, he does a lot, which you don't hear many guitar players doing, is he kind of uses open strings and pulls off with quite a, feroc- a lot of ferocity. Um, you know, like the Thunderstruck kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that on steroids, you know. Like... It creates quite a pedal tone, doesn't it? It does. myself so which was from still got the blues yeah he he uses it in that even in a bluesy way yeah, yeah. and also in uh, after the war so it's there as well so that you've got it, it's an interesting sort of possibility maybe use open strings even back in the 70s when he was playing for g-force he often used pull-offs to open strings. Yeah. 
was literally going down the E minor scale. <laughs> Which is like it is is it is it um, wasted years by Iron Maiden? But that's very well. again using the peer. <laughs> Okay, cool. So using the open strings. Also, he tended to use these licks, which kind of cycled. I know we talked about these before, I think, with picking in mind. But yeah. you have a lick. <laughs> but then he built up a ferocious turn of speed. Noffler does a bit of that, doesn't he? So it was a swing. Ah, it? that's a slightly different yeah. thing. <laughs> which is that. Yeah. So this, you'd have a... A lick which you're picking every note on. And then raise it dramatically. And speeding it up as well. Is that Adelante or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> so you got to Jackie Chase. <laughs> Start with seven on the B. Yeah. It's just a shape, and then you yeah. basically move it. Eventually, you'll get to obviously. Is it just four notes? Is it just? That's it. Yeah. And eventually, you'll get to either a shape within the key that's further up, or yeah. some place to then hit a note in tune. Brilliant. That's a good one. That's typical, a really good one. Typical Gary Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His his um cycling kind of licks, sort of cyclic licks like that, which go back on themselves, are quite a good way to learn picking, really. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. another one 
Which I think we've done before. Start slow and build up like supposed yeah. to. <laughs> Vicious. Yeah, we might have a slightly different version of starting slow, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Gary Moore sound was quite, you know, he, his sound was quite, uh, not just his sound, but his picking and stuff was quite aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes he would use sort of quite a lot of Irish themes. Yep. Over the hills and far away is quite a nice little gnarly one to do. <laughs> incorporate some of the things that we've looked at. Here it comes. Gary Moore's stuff is n- is nothing if not exciting. Yeah, that's really that's, that, that that is quite thin, Lizzie-ish as well, isn't it? In his own little way, you can see where they w- crossed over, and you can see where he's playing influenced mm. the other band as well. And the other, he he did a lot of things where he would sort of do the cycling licks, either sort of then incorporate them into another part of you know, the scale of the lick, or yeah. or would go up sort of chromatically. Murder in the skies is probably. Do you know that one? I don't actually. It doesn't um, ring a bell. Because it's only the intro, really. But it's worth a listen. Because at the beginning, it's got a lot of guitar on its own, not interrupted by anything else. (laughs) 
going on those muted kind of things as well you know Craziness. Yeah, that's really helpful looking at the all those different styles. Yeah, thanks very much. That's all right. Nice I mean, tried. There's quite a lot of information there to, to take on board, and you know, I think every player out there who's kind of got to the point where they're kind of getting their playing together a bit has probably listened to so many different guitar players. I found, for me personally, and it's only my personal findings, that I immersed myself in certain players for a good time to understand how they ticked, and then mm. I would kind of move along I don't think I consciously moved along you know in the early days I was really into Eric Clapton and I listened to loads of Eric Clapton then loads of Jimi Hendrix then loads of Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and then loads of Eddie Van Halen and then Gary Moore and then Steve Lukather and then Eric Johnson and Satriani and I'd have my spells with each of the players you know and you, you just kind of got to know the way they ticked so, you know, like that's your Gary Moore thing, then your, your Joe Satriani thing is all of the, the Legato. <laughs> hardly picking anything so you're at the opposite end of the spectrum you know and yeah, each really player handy, isn't it to, to immerse yourself in those players definitely absolutely i mean each yeah. player has something something new to bring i found for me personally i had to kind of get into each one enough to start picking up the stuff that i needed to pick up you know that that's the way it worked for me everyone's different i understand that um but yeah i mean find find out what works for you you know, because we're all kind of an amalgamation of the things that we listen to, I suppose, and want to be as a player. So, you know, there's little things that I'll do, and I know I've nicked it off Steve Lukather. You know, like Steve Lukather would do a bend, and then he'd put the little finger on top to extend it. <laughs> So you bend yeah. up and then you plonk the little finger on top. You don't see too many players doing that. But you know, you listen to the things and what what kind of you what you like, what what kind of resonates with you is probably what's going to settle in your own playing eventually after you've practiced it enough. And it's not that there isn't so much more to learn about a player, but of course there's lots of guitar players. And then it's remembering it as well. <laughs> it is, and also putting it into a, a place on the guitar where we can use it. Yeah. You know, I I know a lot of my pentatonicy stuff. Is quite Eric Johnsony, 
Yeah. You know, some of the... Uh... Even though he doesn't really kind of tend to add notes with a tap, I sort of do. It works for me. I don't know, it's very much an Eric Johnson thing. <laughs> revisited it when I saw Joe Bonamassa doing it and I thought mm, yeah I know where you got that from so I thought okay we'll revisit again lovely thank you all right that's brilliant no thank worries you. stay tuned for more episodes jams improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps pedals and guitar gear if you enjoy this podcast then leave us a review on iTunes find us on SoundCloud or see our website at tuneintoneup.com Here you'll find show notes, tabs and other resources. I hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and useful as I do and if you have any suggestions we'd love to hear them. (laughs) 